What's up, y'all? <clears throat> so we're at home, and my wife is walking by making fun of me <clears throat> because she says I have a, a radio voice. I do the extra uh, enunciated, you know, the what's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. So right as I'm start, starting to say that, she's, like, mocking me. So... <laughs> What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Today, Adam Stoinoff uh, is going to talk about his time working with the Olympic teams and specifically his uh, Chinese Olympic experience, but he's also got some other crazy stories. So sometimes people just have good stories to tell, and I think that's what we're going to get here with Adam. So Adam is a friend of John Seco's, and again... You know John Zico if you listen to the podcast at all. It's, he's either on every other one or we're talking about him or, you know, he's tweeting something about it. So um, you'll see John Zico or you'll hear from John Zico in just a little bit as we get to know Adam and his Chinese Olympic experience. So, again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Chinese Olympic experience. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Chinese Olympic experience. Without much further ado, John, you got it. Thanks, Jeremy. I, uh, I I think this has been a, a long overdue podcast with Adam. Uh, Adam's a strength coach and a really good friend of mine. We've known each other for 20 years, I guess, now almost. Um, we, we both played football at Albion College. Uh, we both um, stopped playing and went through our career paths. Um, and we've been, obviously, good friends since then. So just following each other. And uh, one of the nice things is that our philosophies on Working with individuals in the health and fitness and uh, healthcare realm are very, very similar. Even though Adam's a strength coach and I'm an athletic trainer, uh, we share a lot of similarities when it comes to philosophies and and um, just relationship building overall. I think what you're going to get out of this podcast and this story is uh, how do we build relationships? How do we communicate? Um, you know, through different experiences, through different professions, but also through this crazy time of the pandemic. So back in early January, I got a text message from one of our really good friends, Gwynyai. G texts me uh, early January and asks, do you think Adam died? And I thought, <laughs> what are you talking about? He goes, well, his social media is completely dark. So I go on, I fervorously go on, I search all of Adam's social media and he is completely gone. We knew leading up to that, that Adam was working with um, an Olympic team and all of a sudden we didn't hear anything from him. So it led us to shoot him a text message, um, not knowing if we were going to get one from, get one back from his mom or dad, or uh, if it was going to come back in, in a different language or uh, you know, best case scenario, Adam actually texts back. So best case scenario, and Adam actually texts back gone. says, yeah, I'm uh, leading up. To I that, decided to was go off of with social media and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm over here in, in Europe actually right now. So, uh, we tried keeping tabs. And then as we know in January and into February and definitely into March, um, the coronavirus and the world pandemic kind of picked up and Adam had to come back home. So um, once Adam came back home, we all jumped on a Zoom call, uh, all of us buddies from college and started talking. And uh, Adam shared his experience with us um, being in Europe with the Chinese Olympic team 
And uh, I thought, man, this is a really good story, I think, for healthcare professionals to hear. Uh, but also, you know, how he had to navigate building relationships and building communication uh, bridges with people who don't speak the same language, uh, not only uh, language us, itself, but cultural language as well. So um, without further ado, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Sports Medicine Broadcast. Um, why don't you fill everybody in on your background, uh, where you're from, and um, where life is kind of taking you over the last 20 years? Thanks, John. Um, that was very kind of you. Thanks so much for having me on here. Um, the I am a strength and conditioning coach, and the uh, my career I I'd like to think it's been unique in a in a few different ways. But as I talk about these things, I do really want to preface it with something. Um, when we get to the Chinese part, when we get to certain college parts or certain high school parts, none of these things that I've been a part of or witnessed are, are necessarily right or wrong, good or bad. They just are. They're, they're things that we, I've been very fortunate to, and I know you've been fortunate to, just to, to observe and take on as experiences. So if we talk about some, if I describe some training that might be non-traditional, something that we're not used to as a Western coach, it's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. There's just one way to get strong. Um, so that being said, John and I, we went to school together. And I think uh, you know as well as many other people that I was, I was quite the gym rat. I enjoyed it. So um, Dr. Rup J. Raman was our mentor there. Phenomenal guy, uh, pushed us quite a bit. After that, I went to the private sector for about a year before I figured out what I wanted to do. And I had the uh, had an inkling that I wanted to work with high-level athletes. And you know, our perception of that is collegiate athletes, professional athletes in America. So I went and did an internship that turned into a GA ship that turned into an assistant coaching um extension at Bowling Green State University that lasted about three and a half years. Most of, because of a, a division one institution, most of your time is spent with football, but I was very fortunate there. My boss um, believed that, you know, he valued training all the teams out of one room. So it wasn't just a football room. It was kind of during the time where um, football didn't necessarily have their own weight room, even in power fives and, and mid-major schools. So during my three and a half years there, I was very fortunate to spend time with men's teams, women's teams, gymnastic, golf, football, basketball, baseball, hockey. And, you know, we were, we were pressed to um, pay attention to details, to observe, to... To, to do those types of things. And it was extremely valuable. So after that, I decided that after observing that, I decided that I wanted to play a more integral part in, in athletes' lives at more developmental stages. And I thought that would be high school and middle school. So went up to a private training center in, on the east side of the state in Michigan. I was there for about six years. And one of the most fun things, enjoyable things with that, and when I started to really see different cultural factors in schools and different societal factors within the cultures was the contracts that we had with high schools. 
And that was, you know, you know, just as well as I do, you know, you could have in Detroit, we could have a high school separated by a couple miles in a highway and you have a contract at each school. So you run the strength conditioning programs after school and then you try to help out gym teachers during the day and build those relationships. These schools have two very different cultures. So you're trying what you're doing then is you're doing your best to give these schools what they need, nothing more, nothing less, and finding different ways to give them what they need. And sometimes it's the same thing, but because the cultural factors, you have to talk about it and teach it and, and learn things different ways. So that was, that's why I decided that I knew that, hey, high schools are awesome. I want to continue this. And because of um, I, I moved and I went to the central part of Michigan, I ended up working for a physical therapy company. They were interested in performance training and being involved in high schools. Uh, I s- assisted them and helped them build a private training center and did that for about a year. After that, I went off on my own. I set up a contract with two different high schools and I set up a contract with a college in the area. Um, and that was, you know, that was one of the most enjoyable times in my coaching career because I had one school that um, was a certain socioeconomic level, another school that as far as the median income in the community is much higher. And then I had a college down the road and I was able to service these for, for a couple of years. And it was just, it allowed me to create things in ways that helped each institution out that were, where we were getting the same things done different ways. And it stressed me emotionally in good ways. And, and it was very fulfilling. And because of that fulfilling, that fulfillment, I felt like it was quite a successful program, successful couple of years. Um, after that, went to Boston, worked, within a, worked with uh, second to fifth graders in a physical education setting for after school program. And that's when um, up until then, I'd worked with NFL players, <laughs> Division One athletes, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA athletes. And I kind of felt like it was almost full circle. I hadn't worked with a professional, a professional association to the degree I wanted yet, and I had not worked with uh, elementary kids the way I wanted to yet. And uh, that was one of the most enlightening coaching experiences I've had yet. And it was, um, it was much harder than I thought it would be. The, you are direct, you're teaching physical education in ways that has to keep kindergartners to fifth graders and second graders to fifth graders intrigued, having fun. Um, the parents play an integral part in that. And you kind of sit back and you think about, I think this hit me the biggest. I thought about the contact hours I had with kids versus the contact hours that parents have with them. And then maybe what the variable is in the equation that um, is ultimately limiting where the parents are around the kids so much more than the teachers, the coaches and the athletes. So talking to the parents and learning from them, I left that situation thinking about how important it was to be a part of the community, not just the workouts and the exercises and the the classes that the kids are a part of, but also getting contact hours with the parents 
and building that relationship with the parents and saying things in ways that are similar to how you talk to the kids, similar to how you talk to the parents, so that hopefully when they go home, they're talking the same language, the same words, and, and it, it strengthens that, you know, the contact hours you have with them, and it hopefully builds that relationship and it builds that community. Coming out of there, that was a great experience. After that, Dallas, Texas. Um, anything you heard about Dallas football in high school is true. I know you have talked about this. The um, it's it, it's not right. It's not wrong. It's it's big. Um, and sometimes when we look at that through a certain lens, if you look at the pictures of say a 60, 70, 80 million dollar football stadium, and we're up in Michigan doing fundraiser fundraisers fighting for a squat rack to put in the corner, you people have certain feelings and thoughts about that. But the schools down there in certain areas of Texas, say in Dallas and Metro Dallas and North Dallas, there might be a 6A school, a 5A school might have 5,500 kids or 6,600 kids. So, and then if you look at one of the football stadiums, they're like, oh gosh, that's so big. Well, yeah, you might have three, four or five ISD schools train out of one stadium. So there's, there's always a reason why. And that goes back to, you know, some of the philosophical beliefs that you and I have talked about. Take a deep breath. There's always a reason why something's going on like that. So while I was down there, I worked for a, a really nice, a really uh, fun private training company where we had contracts with uh, schools, did the strength, strength training before school, after school. So I was in a handful of high schools down there throughout a little bit less than a year. And there was you know, a point where I wanted to put my time into um, you know, one thing or I wanted, to, I wanted to move along for new experiences. And getting back to, I think, one of the greatest things of, of um, a resume or career is, are, is the experiences. I haven't gone through this life really thinking about how to build my resume, build my resume, and I definitely have a bit of wanderlust in me. Um, I've been looking for strength and conditioning and, and relationship experiences and sitting around one day. And it's kind of interesting how it all happened. I thought about the, the China jobs have popped up over the years. Uh, China's Asia and China has been known to hire Western coaches. And a buddy of mine called me and said, Hey, uh, the, Chinese Canoe Association is trained in Waco, <laughs> Waco, Texas. Um, would you be interested in it? So yeah, absolutely. So I sent my sent my resume in and had a conversation. Phone call back. You know that being said, I think a week later, um, I was down coordinating the training site, which was in Waco for men's and women's canoe and kayak where we are we were training for for tokyo i think a couple weeks into that one of my bosses asked me if i would be interested in staying on and doing more coaching versus coordinating i said absolutely and i looked at it as um we talked i looked at it as a year commitment i wanted to take a year of my life to to kind of check one of those experience boxes that I was looking for. And that was working with a, a professional association and coaching it in that arena 
So we, the plan was, was to fly into after Christmas, um, the end of December, fly into Portugal and then be there for four or five weeks. And then I think we're going to go to Beijing and then Thailand, back to Europe in a country, couple places, back to China, and then eventually Tokyo. And that being said, the every every six to eight week training block is kind of how their their cycles are. Were they were changing locations because there was there had to be qualifying races, and the the variety. My bosses, uh, the Chinese le- leadership, looked at that travel as a good stressor to prepare the athletes for for what they might be through during the Olympics. Because you would think about like, okay, we're in Waco, we're coordinating the training there. So we have a high school we're doing strength training at. We have a private training center we're doing rowing and canoeing at on the ergs, and then we also have a couple different hotels we're at versus what some of the the eastern european coaches are used to and just having a training facility all in one base so it was it was tough it was great stress it was great stimulus and that that coordinating aspect was something that we all had to get really good at and the the uh we were in mortagua portugal that was more of a a training site because nello is the company that makes the an Olympic grade canoe and kayak. They're out of Porto, Portugal. And they, I think, have partial ownership in the, the hotel we were at. Uh, so there was, it was an international train site. We constantly had German teams, Russian teams, Czech teams, um, Bulgarian, uh, I think Romania was there. Um, Italy was there near the end. So it was, um, it was definitely a hot spot for, for activity as far as training goes. And it was right on the water too. So we were able to, you know, logistically speaking, get our strength training done in the, in the morning or afternoon. And then on the other, the other block, if you look at it, Hey, that's a water block. So if you're training in the morning in the weight room, you might be on the water in the evening. If you're on the water because of weather or whatnot, you're in the weight room and at the other block. Um, so we, ate there, slept there, worked there, lived there together. Everybody was there together for, for quite a while. <laughs> that's my background a little bit. <laughs> no, that's, that's perfect. I, um, you know, you start talking about little things and, um, you know, can you go back to the coaching versus coordinating aspect of it? Um, when you started your time in Waco with, uh, with the teams. That's a, that's an awesome topic because they're two very different things. Um, I love strength and conditioning. I love being a hands-on coach. I love teaching X's and O's and building that culture within that realm. The coordinating part is, you know, it's almost sometimes I guess you could, you, you could compare it to an athletic director an athletic coordinator. Um, we knew, you know, we had, we had four teams, you know, 30 some 47 individuals ended up being a group with the coaches and everything because each team had a, you know, a physiotherapist, a strength coach, and then two to three boat coaches. If a team needed, you know, they felt like they needed to do strength training at this time. They felt like they needed to eat at this time. They felt like they needed to be on the water at this time. Um, They felt like they needed 
water or Gatorade, they felt like you know, the van needs gas in it. Lots of feelings going on. <laughs> so <laughs> figuring out what the wants and the needs are um, within a coordinating position can be tough. Uh, the, the coordinating position is going to stress your relationship building skills. It's going to stress, you know, can you make that other person happy? Do you know when to say no? Do you know when to say yes? Do you know that you have to constantly be thinking a couple days ahead? Every day around three, four, five o'clock, we'd be, I would be going to the different boat coaches, the different physiotherapists, and you have the Chinese leadership also coordinating the schedule for the next day. We get, that gets put down. We have a, we have an app called WeChat, which is sort of like the uh, Chinese Facebook. So we all communicate through that. So the day goes, okay, seven o'clock, we have breakfast um, to 7.30, 7.30, 7.15, we're driving back to the hotel. So uh, 8.30, we're leading to Midway High School for strength training, light, uh, strength training for two and a half hour block. Must It's a hard leave because kids are coming into the high school at this time. So those little details of the coordinating have to be communicated. And then after that, you wait for responses and you figure out how to how to how to sort of refine the details of the next day. And, you know, that sometimes things change at the last second. And I know that, you know, as a coordinator, you're going to have to be adaptable. You're going to have to be an observer. You're going to have to be patient. There's going to be times where you're going to have to just slow down, take a few deep breaths, um, focus, and then act before you, before you do anything you'll see and you have to work on your tones you're you're there to ultimately it doesn't matter if you're a strength coach a physical therapist an athletic trainer we're there to serve somebody just my opinion we're there to serve and we're there to help out and anytime we see someone in that position that may be having a hard time it's usually they're they're not first putting service they're not thinking about how can I help somebody first? And the, the ego comes into play a little bit there. And maybe our, you know, how valuable we are is a little bit out of, out of touch with, 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 with certain things. So coordinating is planning, <laughs> making sure that everybody has what they need, has what they want. Um, lots of times it's listening. It's having your phone on 24 seven. As one of those things is, is when you're in Waco, and your bosses are in Beijing, there's a bit of a time difference. <laughs> so you <laughs> so sometimes, you know, you you just have to be ready for that phone to go off at goofy times and say we're working out and just you know 30 minutes, an hour later, the videos of the workouts are sent to Beijing, processed by their professionals, and you hear word back, hey, don't do this exercise. And you have to go to the coach and talk about, hey, we have to substitute this exercise for this exercise. And you're, you know, you're a mediary sometimes a liaison sometimes. Interesting. You talked about the Chinese leadership there. It, it reminds me or it makes me think of the documentary about the American boxer who fought the Russian boxer. I believe it was a documentary. Um, <laughs> the uh, now in Rocky Four, the, uh, the chaperones <laughs> that, that followed Rocky. Was that kind of similar what that was? Um, the, you mean the leadership? Yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah. ones that were the, the leadership that was with you with the team and with, uh, you know, just kind of monitoring everything. Is that kind of similar to us? Because we, you know, we talked about too, 
we're dealing with two different cultural um, ideas, um, political and social uh, social uh, aspects. When you know we are um, we're dealing with a communist company or company country, mm-hmm. and how they go about managing their athletes versus a Western country like us, and how yes. we manage our athletes. Um, how is that? Obviously, that's very different. But how is how is the um, how was that working with that? All right, that's a that's a phenomenal question, and I'm going to take it up a little a, a step higher. And again, not right or wrong, but we but when talking about socialism and communism, and what I thought was so cool, and people were like, hey, how when I got back, hey, how was it? What'd you learn? What about China? I was like, it's not just what about China. What about America? What about China? What about Bulgaria? What about Serbia? What about Russia? What about what about these countries that were so close together? They have some deep-rooted conflicts still going on. And then we have coaches talking about Serbian wars. We have coaches talking. Of, it, it's um, you listen a lot. And then you have to be, you must, you don't necessarily have to have compassion. Where I think compassion comes from the heart, empathy comes from the mind, and service comes from the hands. You, you have to not just read and say, oh, empathy is cool. You have to stop, observe, listen, and do your best to understand why somebody might be acting a certain way. Where the, the communist countries, and there's a handful of them, those athletes, they are taken, let's talk about the Chinese athletes. They're taken out of school at about 12 to 13 years old. So we're coaching you know, a 23, 24, I think our oldest athlete was 33 that may have been pulled out of school at 12 to 13 years old. So their emotional and social IQ is a certain, a certain point. So, and then you have, you have Eastern European coaches sometimes might not get along with Chinese coaches. You have, you have Western coaches who, who it, it happens. We think we're the best in the world at everything. And we really have to take a step back and realize we're not in America. We're here to serve other, other, other countries. And if there was a certain country or nation that had habits built upon, you know, 2000 years of a certain way of doing something, we're not going to come in there and say like, Hey, I know you might be doing, you might think you need three sets of five, but I think you need three sets of three. Like that's not important. It really isn't. The athletes are number one, the athletes and their safety and their happiness and the joy they're feeling while they're training is really number one. The, the leadership was, you know, there's different, different capacities of leadership within China with the leadership that I had. Everything's videotaped. So it is what it is. I, hopefully we're all doing things that we should be doing anyway. So someone videotaping you with a camera in your face should not bother you. <laughs> I don't, I don't I'm sure it bothered some people but cell phones were being video uh, all over the place and that data that information you asked about the uh that documentary <laughs> it's much like it yeah you're being watched you're being talked about and that's not good or bad it's okay if you at the end of the day if you're saying hey I did my best that's okay if someone's videotaping you and sending it to Beijing and that's being deciphered and you're gonna hit feedback from it it's okay yeah, I remember a few years ago, you know, we we always talk about it. I think at our age, you know, what if what if camera phones are around when we were, you know, younger? 
<laughs> you know, it, and it's funny, but you know, it, it is kind of scary, but then it also makes you think oh, you should always be, you should always act as if a camera is on you. You know, what happens when that person has that moment of weakness and they do lash out at somebody, you know, a, a woman at a, a grocery store yell, yelling at somebody else that may be a most, a, an incredibly stand up individual, but they had a moment of weakness uh, and we need to act like that too. We need to act like that where we potentially could be the next viral video that goes out there. Um, you know, and that when I learned that, and, and there's still, it's not like, I don't think anybody's perfect because we all have our moments of weakness. And I, I remember one time I, I, I kind of lashed out at a student and I turned around and I realized a, a student, another student was videotaping and you know, I, I, I wanted to yell at the other student cause I was so <laughs> upset, but then I had, I luckily was smart enough to realize that's going to compound this, you know, and make it worse. So yeah, we really shouldn't, you know, in, in our, in our realm in athletic training, yeah, there really shouldn't be cameras on us because of HIPAA and, and FERPA compliance, but we really do need to act as if cameras are on us. You know, we, we need to uphold those kind of ethics and standards and morals where we should not be embarrassed if a video of us got out while we are doing our jobs. Yeah, absolutely agree. And, you know, you touched on a couple of things there. It's that old, it's the not old, but it's one of those definitions of integrity. What are you doing when nobody's looking? Those cliches are awesome. And we talk about those things sometimes as they're, they're goofy and they're silly, but they're true. They're great. And the one of the greatest things about strength training, athletic training, um, athletic administration, administration, anything, are the, if we do something a certain way are, and the, possibly, hopefully the right way, are the parallels, the philosophical parallels that, that are true with other things. So like with strength training, if we think about what's more important, form, intensity, or hype, well, though, that, that whole idea, if you teach kids the right way and athletes the right way, that runs parallels with other things in their lives. Hey, is it more important that I do this the right way or how hard I do it and how fast I do it? What is hype? Well, should I? Well, that's celebrating, celebrating something that's good, okay? If hype comes before something else, if, it, if hype comes before form, now you're just celebrating something that's not true, that's goofy, that's silliness. Mm -hmm. So athletic training, strength training, sports, all these things, they run parallels with other aspects of our lives and our daily living. And one of those things, that, another thing that you mentioned, the cumulative effects of our actions are something we all need to be aware of. So it's okay to, once again, slow down, take a few deep breaths, focus, and then, then move. You know, how many times in that in the situation in Waco or Portugal coordinating the coordinating position that happened every single day, several times a day, I could have I could have a Serbian coach yelling at me from one way. I could have a, a Chinese leader yelling at me from another way. I could have an American coach asking me something another way all at the same time. It's very easy to to let that heart rate rise. And all of a sudden, you're, that fight or flight, that sympathetic nervous system portion, just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Chunk it. Do one thing at a time. 
you know, that, that one, that one student that you may have been frustrated with and you turn around and see the other one, you, you slowed yourself down. It's okay. It's going to be good. And another thing is, is like, at the end of the day, did we do our best? And we have to understand that our best is not linear. My best today, like John, your best today might not be as good as your best yesterday. And that's okay. But it was your best. Like we think we always want to think of strength training as a linear process. Like careers is a linear process. Life is a linear process. Oh, it's always going up. It's not. It's an undulating model. It's awesome. It's like this. It's all good. <laughs> and that's something that, you know, working with the, working with the Chinese again, not right or wrong. A lot of, a lot of my, a lot of the coaches there think everything's linear. More, 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 more. And that's okay. <laughs> Something you have to work with. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, you know, I, I read a lot and I don't read a lot of fiction books. In fact, I'm looking over there right now and I think I have three fiction books over there. <laughs> and uh, one of them is, is The Great Gatsby. And it, it reminds me of, you know, my life's got to be going up like this. And what happens, spoiler alert, at the end of Great Gatsby, he dies because he's constantly fighting for this upward, um, you know, trajectory of life. And we have to slow ourselves down because if we keep pushing, we'll never achieve what we are really looking for that could be potentially right in front of us. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And that... If strength train, if there is a right way to do strength training based on physiological principles, you know, it's not always going to go up and life, it's not always going to go forward. It's okay. As long as we're on the right path, it doesn't matter how long it takes us to get there. So let's talk a little bit about your time in Portugal. You, you know, you spent a couple of weeks in Portugal. Uh, you know, it was supposed to be a little bit longer or a little bit shorter, correct? Than, than you yeah. actually ended up planning. Think, think I was in Portugal for eight weeks. We were supposed to be there for four weeks. So this will, you know, this will get into that, the coronavirus. We were supposed to be there for four weeks and then go to Beijing. And then it turned into eight weeks. Two days, you know, we, three weeks into it, we heard of, you know, the, the coronavirus and Wuhan was having issues. And um, I still had news. And, you know, the U.S. does a good job with, you know, all politics aside, they do a good job with availability of news, um, how we want to interpret it. That's up to us. But the so I was aware of something going on. Um, Chinese coaches were talking about it a little bit. And then two days before we were supposed to leave, you know, some of our coaches were packed up. It was, hey, we're staying. It's not good over there. Um, and we had a, we still didn't have a group meeting or anything. We just, we're going to stay. We're going to continue training. Okay. And then probably a week after that, I might get some of the timing goofed up. I know we had a group meeting and um, more Chinese leadership came in from Beijing and really discussed the, the virus and some of the things that were going on. It was while the hospitals were being built. And, you know, us being outside looking at this with a different lens, they were speaking to their athletes, um, comforting them, letting them know that you know, the country's doing their best. They're going to, 
you know, this was a quote often win this war. Um, so that was, that was happening. Then as you know, we kept training as is we were supposed to be going to, there's a handful of athletes that still needed to actually just a couple that still needed to qualify. So we were supposed to be going to Tokyo for a race um, at the end of that four week block. Things just kept getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. Um, and my Chinese friends, my Chinese coaches, um, you know, we talked openly, shared openly. They had the kid, the, the, I call them kids, but they're the athletes. The, the athletes have had families at home. We knew there was more stressors going on. Um, so emotionally you're, you're doing your best to handle, to handle those needs. The, so that was, I was about three weeks into it and it was getting, it was getting really bad. What happened was we had a lot of, um, you know, rules that we had to abide by because of other European countries and athletes coming in and out. So the last two weeks before I left, say week one, it was, Hey, we stay away from the other teams. Um, no driving off the campus, uh, no getting groceries unless, you know, you get these signatures, these types of things. Then the final week before I knew it was time to go. Um, I think I was the last Western coach there. Yes, I was. There was, you know, we had our rooms and then we had on the way to the water, you had your dining hall and there was a gym under that that we were able to use. So we were allowed to walk to food, walk down, uh, use the gym if we needed to, walk to the water and then walk back and that's it. We weren't allowed to deviate from that path at all. So solitary confinement, it's a real thing. Um, loneliness is a real thing. The, we, we were just, we had to stay away from everybody. We had, and, and some, no matter what, we followed the rules. No matter what we believed or what anybody believed, we just followed the rules because it was out of respect and that's what we do. We follow rules. Um, there at the end of eight weeks, I had a conversation with my boss. I knew that I felt that, you know, it was going to, the virus was going to come to the United States. I didn't feel like we were prepared for it. I didn't know how, you know, we didn't know, we didn't know anything. You know, we didn't know, we, we still don't know a lot about the virus. You know, the, we were, so I felt like if something happened, it was, I had to be home. I didn't want to get sick in East, uh, in Portugal. I, di I didn't want to get sick in China. I didn't, I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want my parents to get sick and me not to be around. So I came back and that was, that was kind of how that went down. And then we've been here since, and we, we kind of know how things panned out, but it was, you know, it was, the last week it was, you You can walk here, you can walk there and that's it. And then you'd sit in your room. <laughs> that was kind of wild. What did you do during that time? Just uh, sitting in your room? Oh, I, I read a lot and I wrote a lot. I think I filled three journals while I was there. It was nuts. Oh, wow. Because um, everything's a time difference. 
you can't really talk to anybody or anything uh, and you need to get your sleep. Um, I did my best to work out and, you know, eat your three square meals a day. If you're lucky enough to have some snacks, cause somehow you got to the store or something that was good. <laughs> but, um, you know, my Chinese friends, I remember, I remember one of the coaches who's, I, I have a very good relationship with him. He looked at me and said, this is dangerous. This is not good. Like, it's not, this is not a good situation. Wuhan is not a good situation in China. He's like, as he was very supportive of me going home, he's like, be careful, be safe, be with your family, stay home. Um, this is a very bad thing. And that's one of the last conversations I had with him in person. I remember that very well. And he had, you know, he, he had family and friends going through that at home. So I listened to him. So what are some of the, I mean, we talked about a lot of the lessons that we learned, you know, we talked about, you know, detailed communication and, um, you know, some of the challenges and what are, what are some really strong lessons that you feel that strength coaches and athletic trainers could really take from your experience with the team uh, and, and your time during the, the pandemic beginning while you were in Europe as a Western coach? You know, the, <clears throat> the, the coaches that I felt that were doing well um, even before the pandemic happened, before any of that, but they were doing well as a coach, as a teacher, as a mentor. They were, you know, I've said this, but their ego was aside. They were aware of their ego. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they were there to serve no matter what. They were there to help out. They were there to, you know, it didn't matter if you were spotting bench press, if you were talking shop, if you were playing, or, you know, you had to get gas to put in the boat because, People are stealing gas all the time. So being of, being there of service really helps out. And I found that extremely valuable. The being calm, stillness, taking a few deep breaths, no, not taking anything personal, that's huge. Because you could have a Serbian coach that's mad at you over you set down a plate too hard, it made a loud noise, and it bothered their athletes true story you can't don't don't take it personally they might know something that you don't know they know they're they've been with their athletes for maybe a year they they live with them sup with them eat with them train with them so i just don't take anything personal and, and i know we do that a lot over here we do that a lot as human beings period it doesn't matter where you're at in the world or universe so being of service not taking things personally um going going out of your way to to find stillness to be calm has been something that that's really helped me out that i think helped a lot of coaches out um being patient you know that those things were really good when you know the the x's and o's and logistics the strength train i mean we could talk about that for days and again not right or wrong that was one of the first things that that i notice was holy goodness gracious are we, how long can we train like this before we have an acute or chronic injury well not that long <laughs> we, um you know had a handful of acute injuries um as far as the the cumulative chronic injuries you know we were a water sport and we constantly had shin splints sore backs um 
knees because we ran a lot. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. You do what, and that's another thing. Like, it's okay just to, as long as you're not putting anyone's, as long as you're doing your best to manage the damage and not put anyone in harm's way. Because we do strength train in the United States, number one, to, to reduce the risk of injuries. Mm-hmm. After that, it's a bunch of awesome things. You know, you can change the priorities and what you get out of it to be intangibles, to be physiologically, emotional, psychological, whatever. But the over there, these are professional athletes where over here we have the NBA, NFL. That's great. NHL, that's great. Over there, you know, in Eastern Europe or China, you could be a canoeist making millions of dollars. And you have four houses because wow. you're a really good kayaker. And that's awesome. So these are professional athletes that, they, you know, they have the BMWs, they have the Mercedes at home, and they kayak. Wow. So that, that was all very interesting, good stuff. You know, back to the training, you know, I think we went 63 or 64 days straight. Um, and we, with, without a day off, you know, we might say a day off, but as far as, you know, there's still something might pop up. There's a lot of haphazard things that would happen because I'll give you a good one. You could be, I say we, we could have been just getting done with strength training and then we're stretching out and I can't make this stuff up. I'll be transparent with it. We just got done with the total body lift, just, you know, lots of volume, lots of intensity, lot like the tonnage is high. The, we get a phone call from our leadership in China and it's, Hey, we need a 30 meter sprint test. And then I want you to, then I want you to test their verticals. Well, we don't have a vertex. Figure it out. All right, we'll draw some lines on a wall. Well, where are we going to run the 30-meter dash at? Well, there's a driveway outside. Yeah, but it has like a 3% grade. You want to go downhill or uphill? Go downhill because we'll get a faster time. Yes, sir. <laughs> Just get the numbers in. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, it's – and not laughing to make fun of it. It's just – Someone wants that and it's valuable to them. It's not up to us to say it's good, bad, like, like, or, hey, that's, you know, we say it all the time. Hey, that's stupid. It's not. They just want it. They need it. They're asking for it. They think it's valuable. Cool. Let me get it for you. We'll find the best way to do it safely. We'll get you that, that stuff and, you know, put it in a report and get to it in the next, next hour. That was a huge part of, a huge part of all of that. I feel especially with China is the report uh mapping the tonnage not that that may may or may not mean anything um in presentable formats and making sure that stuff's all sent to to uh beijing and then it gets deciphered then you you know you kind of get feedback every couple days on stuff and how trains going you know the that was all uh, very interesting stuff that's cool i know we we touched on a little bit but Adam, what's your philosophy when it comes to working with athletes? Well, there, I think there's going to be, you know, two, two lenses we have to see that through the physiological ones, obviously. And you and I grew up with this together. Uh, we had great mentors in, in undergrad. I'm sure we did in, in grad school, too. I know where you went. And uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania school is great. Uh, it's it just 
physiological principles of strength training and exercise as far as that goes, you know, sets and reps, um, that stuff. My physiology is the same as your physiology. My physiology is going to be the same as a Chinese athlete's. So dressing and body in that way, have a background in it and know that um, if someone wants to go in that direction. Now, the emotional and the, the communication aspect of it, that took, that was like the school of hard knocks. That was, for some reason in our field, I still hear stories about it. And I think, and that's why I talk about it so much. We need to do a better job at letting people know, like, all right, when you're done with undergrad, just stop with the physiology talk, stop going to places, saying you're going to write the best program ever. Just don't, don't know us when I hear it. Slow down. Let's, you know, read a Carnegie book. Let's talk about how to ask questions, listen to answers. Let's, um, Let's work on our communication. Let's figure out why we want to help people. Because if you want to help people for the right reasons, you'll have a shot in a service industry, which I think strength and conditioning is a service industry. We're serving people. You'll have a shot at that. So constantly working on, I think for me, I feel success when, number one, I create something being, you know, anything within the, 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 the realm and I share it or find ways to share it. And then after that, I feel fulfillment. Then after that, it's success. Now that can be from the, the physiological portion or the emotional portion where I'm communicating with somebody and helping them out in that arena. The school of hard knocks, right? <laughs> we, uh, we both have gotten pretty good educations from there and it's helped us a lot with, um, with our learning process, with that type of philosophy and, and serving others. Um, you know, some people it comes easy, other people's it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a battle because you definitely have to battle your ego and you have to battle, you know, what you really want. Um, but I like the way you put that, you know, you have to figure out why you want to help people. Once you're, once you're able to kind of decipher that things kind of clear up and you're able to, uh, to, to really put that mission and goal forward first rather than yourself. And I think that's a, that's a really incredibly powerful and um, great thing to, to impart on people who are starting their career. Maybe even people who are 20 years into their career mm -hmm. just need a reminder of that too, because it is a learning process constantly. Yeah. You, you just touched on two phenomenal things, John, you know, Bill Walsh was an awesome, awesome manager, football coach. And, and, the score is going to take care of itself. Okay. Like if you figure out why you want to do something. All right. And I know you and I both like Simon Sinek and he wrote a bunch of good books. And, and if you figure out why you want to do it, things will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. How you'll figure out how to do it. Then you'll figure, and then if everything will take care of itself, the what happens, you know, and then if we become, the score taking care of itself is a way of saying being process oriented. And it's same thing with athletes. If you teach the value of pro being process oriented, you're not going to worry about the big biceps, the big bench press, the touchdown, the, the, the free throw, because you already took care of everything that's going to take care of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the, the icing on the cake. That's what you get because you figure out why you want to do it. You know, you figure out how you're going to do it. And that's part of the process. And then the score takes care of itself. 
you know, I've talked about that a lot lately, just with general exercise with adults. You know, why do you want to work out? Well, I want to walk my daughter down the aisle. That's awesome. Be in touch with that. Like the exercise is going to be easy if you just remind yourself that, you know, why do you want, why do you want to, why do you want to work so hard and be a canoeist? Well, can make a bunch of money and take care of my family in the province. Awesome. Be in touch with that. Okay. This set of 200 pull-ups is going to be really easy because of that. If you remind yourself that might be easy. Adam, what's next, man? I am going to, I've been doing this almost 20 years now. I have this grand vision of creating, creating a high school strength conditioning program, being there for a very long time and doing it in a way that is, you know, what I call universal and inclusive. And you know, I've talked about this. Every kid in that school is important. We don't care if they play a sport or not. Every family is important. Don't care where they're at on the street. You know, the city's important. The state's important. The country's important. If we can create a high school strength program that's universal and inclusive, you know, we'll have a chance in changing, a, changing the kids, changing the families, impacting the school, impacting the community. And that's, what, that's going to be my next step. I want to get into, and something I saw over the states, you know, between Ohio, Michigan, you know, Massachusetts, some of the states up there on the East Coast, Texas, high school strength conditioning because of the trickle-down effect, it's getting better. You and I know, we've talked about this all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a need for it. There is a need. We, and, and it's going to happen. We'll figure it out. But we ha- and, and this is the road. We're on the right path. You, like, we're on the right path getting high school strength conditioning done. We just have to stay with the process and, and keep going in the same direction. So that's, that's where I want my career to end. I want to be in a high school for a long time. What took you to Boston to work in after school program? Like what made you think, I want to go work with second, third, fourth, and fifth graders in Boston? Well, I moved, I moved out there with somebody else, but I, I felt like I hit gold the, the, with the job opportunity. It was, and that's something that, you know, we should talk about another time. Uh, the they have after school programs that are just phenomenal over there because the parents are still in work. School gets out gets out pretty early, so these kids have have these after school programs at all these elementary schools that have physical education as part of it. Pretty phenomenal, and it's it was a group, it was a cohort, it was a group age group that I have not been with yet. I knew it was going to be extremely hard, but very rewarding for both parties. We're recording this now during the corona outbreak as Adam kind of shared some of his story as he got kind of stuck in Portugal uh, and <laughs> luckily he's stuck in Portugal and not stuck in China um, during during all this stuff. And so it's a constant question right now is how we're going to return to school and sport safely. And so um, Myotech uh, is has got a lot of stuff. They're doing the best they can to take care of athletic trainers who are trying to prepare plans and products to return to sport or return to school safely and then return to sport eventually so whether you you got to clean or get face masks or gloves or or whatever it is do the ozone sanitizers things like that then um 
contact myotech again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash myotech and then uh, they'll hook you up there so with that link specifically it is is a discounted link so adam if somebody wants to get a hold of you what is going to be the best way to do that through social media someone finds me on facebook finds me on instagram adam stoinoff uh dm me i i openly share my phone number with whoever whoever sincerely needs a hand and um and I'll always share my email too. John? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at John Seiko, J-O-H-N-C-I-E-C-K-O, or via uh, email at J-C-I-E-C-K-O at Bloomfield, B-L-O-O-M-F-I-E-L-D.org. I always get tripped up when I say that really quick. Um, yeah, you can shoot me an email that way. Um, those are the best two avenues to find me and get a hold of me. Very good. Hey, Adam, real quick. I have also here in the show notes, Mark Pro. It's it's a like a recovery device. Um, when y'all were over there working with those athletes and you were working, you know, for like eight hours a day, did you use any of the things like the Compex or the Mark Pro or anything like that for your athletes? Not that specifically, but that's a really, I mean, we didn't even really get into the talk about the training much. But that could be, you know, hours of talk. The One of the things that we did as far as something that blew me away was the work capacity and how much stimulus we were giving these athletes and their ability to recover. Part of that, you know, part of that being their nutrition and part of that being their 6,000, 8, maybe nine, ten thousand 10,000 calories a day, the sleep that they got. But I do know that whatever recovery um, – tools, devices that you suggest, that John suggests, they're extremely important. It's, you know, high-level athletes, you know, athletes, people, recovery is so important. All right, so if you want to get a hold of Adam Stoinoff, you can check out, you can find him on Facebook or Instagram. It's Adam and then S-T-O-Y-A-N-O-F. And then he pops right up there. So find him on Facebook or Instagram. And again, John Seiko, you can always find him pretty easy. So for Jeremy Jackson, John Seiko, Adam Stoyanoff from the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Chinese Olympic Experience. Again, Chinese Olympic Experience. That is a wrap.